Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 11.25 p.m. on Tuesday night. So sorry to get this in your hands so late in the week, but hey, it's done and now you can enjoy it. I was tired. I'm going to go on right now. <laughs> I could edit that out, but I'm leaving it in. Some of you may or may not know, we don't really operate like a traditional church. Uh, we don't have a huge staff or a huge budget. Hannah is our only full-time employee, and she doesn't get paid that much. I get paid like 100 bucks a week for what I do. And so sometimes we have to take things slow. Um, and that's okay. That's, that's what we can offer at this point in time. And that was always kind of the idea behind different church was what sort of church can we put on on a smaller budget without putting too much um, weight on volunteers because our um, the audience that we kind of naturally attract is an audience that tends to be a little burnt out on church and we're just kind of helping heal people back and uh, help them to trust in church again and so to do that we just have to kind of operate on a slightly less breakneck speed than other evangelical churches with big budgets and that's okay uh, I just you know it's nice to share that sort of stuff sometimes just so you kind of understand where we're coming from and why we do some of the things that we do okay um, I still have a cough I will gladly take more prayers because one of you out there hasn't prayed hard enough because I still have a cough. Uh, Great message today. A couple of things we have coming up that I want to tell you about. Number one, small groups are starting up again in the next uh, week, actually. Uh, To sign up, go to diff.church and click on groups. You can join a online group, a Tampa group, or one of two St. Pete groups. Um, Also, we have an event coming up, which is really cool. There's a tab at diff.church that says events. Uh, Click on that, and it will take you to the Plant Native Trees on Pinellas Trail. I'm really bummed. I'm not going to be able to go because I'm going to be out of town that day. Uh, Caleb is uh, a huge part of what we do at Different, and he's going to be kind of leading the charge on that. Uh, We would love for you to come hang out. It's going to be an awesome day. Hopefully, the weather's going to be really nice. Go to diff.church and click on events. That's all I got for you. Let's listen to Hannah read the longest scripture ever. So today we are going to talk about the woman at the well, which is like a famous Jesus story encounter. We're going to read it from the book of John. I abridged it a little bit, but this is a long passage, y'all. Okay, so take a deep breath. We are going to read it. This is longer than we normally read. We're doing it anyways. Okay? No one fall asleep on me. Eventually, they came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Important, I guess. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied in true Jesus fashion, (laughs) very confusingly, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would have asked me for a drink and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? We're only halfway through. (laughs) 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring inside them, giving them eternal life. Please give me this water, the woman said, and I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. <laughs> I love that. Practical. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. <laughs> For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You speak the truth. And sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Or maybe he was just real caught up on the hot gossip in the town. <laughs> So tell me, why is it you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it won't matter whether you worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming. In fact, it's here now when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. I need to breathe. For God is spirit. So those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples came back. This is my favorite line. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had a nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? She left her water dryer beside the well and ran back to the village saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people came streaming from the village to see him. One thing you need to know about the Bible is it's very long. Um, I feel like that's the most scripture we've read in a while. <laughs> I don't know what that says about us. Normally, if there's a long passage of scripture, I start by saying, okay, I'm going to paraphrase. And what had happened was, and we are going to do that still. Um, so if, if, you, if you're confused about where Samaria is, I have a picture Hopefully you can see it, because I can't. The light is right in my eyes. So there is Galilee up top. Samaria's in the middle. Judea's in the bottom. Most of the time Jesus is in the Gospels, like all the stories we hear are about Galilee. They're up top. And then he dies in Jerusalem, down at the bottom, in Judea. You would think, looking at the map, the quickest way to get from the top to the bottom would be to go straight through Samaria. Um, however, the Jews did not like the Samaritans, they were very offended by them in their existence. And also, the Samaritans did not like the Jews. And so they sometimes literally fought each other with battles. And sometimes they just ignored each other and wouldn't speak. So typically, the Jews would go around. They would go down the mountain, down the Jordan River Valley, around and up. This would be like taking the Skyway to get to Tampa instead of crossing the 275 bridge. That is how much they were like, I don't like that road. So Jesus apparently doesn't care. He's like, we're going the shortest distance between two points. He's walking through Samaria. He's very tired. He finds himself alone in the middle of the day by Jacob's well, which is like a famous landmark. And this woman comes to draw water. Who cares? Like, why was this story preserved about a person drawing water? Well, there's several things wrong with this picture. First of all, Jesus was already known as a holy man. He was well-known. He was leading this movement to bring Israel back to God. And in that culture, a devout Jewish man would not have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. If it was unavoidable that they were alone, they certainly would never have talked to them. Okay, you cannot have conversation with women. The risk is too high. Um, impurity, gossip, immorality, certain immorality. We all know that the mere presence of women in the world is enough to derail the foundations of our society. 
But Jesus is talking to this lady, does, is not concerned at all. He clearly must not have read the verse that's like, avoid even the appearance of evil. He does not give a crap about Billy Graham's never be alone with a person of the opposite sex rule. <laughs> this famous evangelical thing. I, side note, interned at a church in college, and they were like, okay, this is an important rule you need to know. You cannot meet with someone of the opposite sex alone in public. If you're going to do that, you have to meet here at the church. And in my head, I was like, do you guys hear yourselves? First of all, what about queer people? <laughs> Only women and men are dangerous to each other, first of all. Second of all, if I am so overcome in this meeting where someone's probably spilling their heart out to me about something terrible, if I'm so overcome that I just like launch myself across the table and try to take their clothing off, where is that more likely to happen? In a musty old dark church building or a Panera Bread? And they were like, that's the rule. And I was like, okay. I don't, Jesus doesn't care about this rule. He's talking to a lady, like any reasonable person. Secondly, the Jews regarded Samaritans as outcasts. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. So it's not just that she's a woman. She's a Samaritan. And what happened was, ever since some of the Jewish exiles who had been forcibly deported to Babylon, they came back. And they found some people living in what they considered to be their territory. And these people claimed to be the true descendants of Abraham. And the Jews were like, how dare you? That's our job. And they were like, well, you weren't here. <laughs> so um, that's our house now. So get out. And so ever since then, they had been fighting each other. They especially, they wouldn't talk to each other. They especially would not share like cups or bowls or it was, they, their cups were unclean. And Jesus is like, I don't have a cup. Can I have a drink? So kind of a big deal. Also, the woman clearly wants to be left alone. It's the middle of the day. It's hot. They're in the desert, okay? You don't draw water from a well. I say this from my vast experience of drawing water from wells in the middle of the day. You don't draw water from a well at noon. It's too hot. You go in the morning or you go in the evening. She's there because she doesn't want to talk to anyone. And Jesus is like, you look like you need conversation. <laughs> a couple of other things is Jesus is asking her for water. And I've heard so many sermons, the privilege of being born in church, that like over-spiritualize this interaction to the nth degree. And it's like Jesus could have snapped his magical God fingers and made himself a cup of magical God water. But he did it because he had a divine appointment with this sinful woman. And he must show her the error of her ways, right? Barf. First of all, this is a lack of understanding of how the book of John is structured in the Bible. Jesus does not perform any frivolous miracles in John. Everything is there for a reason. It has a purpose. Second, the story tells us that Jesus had walked a very long way and was exhausted. He was so tired, he sent the disciples into town to get snacks without him. Now, he may have just been tired of them because they were mostly teenagers. <laughs> um, and if you don't think that's funny, then you just don't remember yourself as a teenager. You were obnoxious, I'm sure. There have been literally thousands of pages written on the bad moral character of this poor woman. Her many marriages, like constantly attributed to her own wrongdoing. Five husbands. She must have been unfaithful. She must be just an awful person all around. In fact, John Calvin, who was a theologian that lived in the 1500s and his work 
basically started Calvinism, which is a large sect of Christianity. He said, I'm quoting this, being a contrary and disobedient wife, she constrained her husbands to divorce her. Christ, in order to repress this woman's talkativeness, brought forth her former and present life. Repress this woman's talkativeness from a guy who wrote thousands of pages? <laughs> this is the kind of theology that gives me like an eye twitch. Um, there is such a long history of sexism in the church, of like looking down on women, of blaming them for everything, of not even talking to them, lest, you know, a conversation. I don't, I don't even know what is, what's going to happen if you talk to a lady. You might have a better life. I don't know. The sad reality of this situation is that she almost certainly found herself having five husbands because typically women got married pretty young to older men and the lifespan, not long. So I'm sure some of them died. And probably male-initiated divorce. In that culture, a, male, a guy could divorce a woman for any reason. But I don't like you, so bye. But a woman couldn't divorce for hardly any reason at all. And Jesus points out to her, he's like, well, you've had five husbands, but the man you're with currently is not your husband. And, you know, in evangelical church, that's like a big no-no. <laughs> um, it's most certainly for survival. Why do we see so many, 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 many rules, parts of the theological code, the, the church law, essentially, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, these constant reminders to care for widows and orphans because there was no way for her to provide for herself. If you were a single female, widowed or divorced for any reason in that culture, you had no family support to rely on. You, if you didn't have a family, you were probably going to starve to death. Like you had no way. And this is why it's so important in the Old Testament to care for widows and orphans. And it's so important in the New Testament to care for widows and orphans. And in fact, it's so important that when people actually did it in the New Testament, the Romans and the Greeks and everyone around in the culture was like, oh my gosh, they're just like caring for these people and they're not even related to them or married to them. They're just feeding widows and orphans. And the Christians were like, yes, <laughs> because this is the right thing to do. I also think her response to Jesus, fabulous. Jesus says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And she, having the special skill that some of our population has, immediately points out why that idea is dumb. <laughs> like, this is how I'm sure you've heard it read. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Okay, listen to it this way. Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is real deep. Where are you going to get this water? I love her. She's being sarcastic to Jesus. It's my favorite. She's like holding her own. And I mean, Jesus, in the book of John, Jesus is always talking to people who completely misunderstand him because he's talking at like a heavenly level and we're just living on earth as humans. And his whole purpose is to bring the life of heaven to earth. And he's asking her for a drink. And then he says, well, you should have asked me for one. Of course she thinks he means it in like a literal water sense. 
But Jesus is using the phrase living water. And I've heard that like living water. Again, special Jesus magic water of the spirit, the Holy Spirit of heaven will give you this water and you will never thirst again. Okay, but the phrase living water is what we would call running water. Like it's not some fancy theology word. Living water means water that's not in a well or in a pond that's stagnant and stale and grows algae. It's running water, like in a stream or from a spring that you know is clean and fresh and constantly bubbling up so that there's a never-ending supply of it. And of course, it's a double meaning because Jesus doesn't mean physical water. He's referring to the new life that he's offering to everyone. And it's available according to this conversation, no matter what your gender is, your geography, your racial background, your moral background. He's saying the water on earth is just a signpost for something that will not only quench your thirst so that you won't be thirsty again, it will become a spring bubbling up inside of you so that you are living water to other people. And the woman is confused, (laughs) of course, as most people who talk to Jesus in the book of John are. They're all confused. And she's like, okay, can I have some? And then Jesus tells her to go get her husband. And they have a weird interaction about her five husbands and her current partner. And he's like, well, of course you, the guy you're with right now is not your partner. And her reaction, I find very funny because we definitely don't do this. When God or your therapist or your mom or your friend put, try to like put their finger on some aspect of your life that you really don't want to talk about, immediately start talking about something else. She's like, oh, what would be a good distraction from personal issues? Religion. Let's talk about religion instead of me. And she's like, you must be a prophet. So tell me why did Jews say that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while Samaritans say it's here? Nothing like a good, unimportant theological question to derail being vulnerable. (laughs) And Jesus does not put up with this. He's like, essentially, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Because my mission to bring heaven to earth is that holy mountains won't matter at all anymore. Holy buildings, holy mountains are at best signposts to a real thing. Like water, the true God is not contained geographically or architecturally. And the... (laughs) Again, confused. She can't make any sense of what Jesus is saying. So she tries a different tactic. She's like, one day the Messiah will come. Why don't we wait until then? He'll explain everything to us. In other words, no one really knows. Why are we even trying to figure this out? That's the ancient equivalent of something I heard a fair amount as a kid when I was being obnoxious in Sunday school. When you get to heaven, you can ask Jesus. (laughs) So she's like, we can just, when we get to heaven, we can ask the Messiah and Jesus is like, well, that's me. (laughs) And then the disciples come back, and they are shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman alone, a Samaritan woman at that. And I find it hilarious that none of the disciples had the guts to even ask Jesus why he was talking to a woman. It says they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman, and none of them had the nerve to ask. And she was like, that's my out. Bye. (laughs) The disciples come back. They assume, I assume they bring snacks. And she's like, okay, bye. She leaves her water pot. She runs away. You'd think that would be the end. But instead, she runs into the village and gets lots of people to come talk to Jesus and becomes the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. 
that's nice in itself. But like before any of Jesus' own disciples could do it, she goes and tells everyone about this person who is making changes. This whole story starts with Jesus' entire group of disciples going into town to get food. All of them. And they're with him 24-7. They travel around with him. They go into town, clearly not excited to tell anyone about Jesus. They're not like, hey, why are we here? We're passing through. We have someone you might like. No, nothing. They're like, we need snacks. Goodbye. We don't want to talk to you because you're Samaritans. We'll eat your food. We'll take your labor. We don't want to have any kind of personal connection with you. But this woman, who is clearly looked down upon and wants to be avoided by people, gets the whole town to come out. And after they meet Jesus, they say, now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. Oh, no. I feel like that was the mic snapping off back here. As long as it stays for like three more minutes, we'll be fine. Savior of the world. That's kind of a big deal. I mean, in Christian church, we use that phrase, like, Savior of the world, especially at Christmas. We love it. Love it, love it. I love it. It's nice. But in that culture, that is a title that the emperor of Rome used for himself. The emperor of Rome was the savior of the world. There was no other savior of the world. That is a super political statement. And it's actually the only time in the entire book of John that Jesus is called savior by people that the Jews didn't want to talk to. This is chapter four. The chapter right before, chapter three, the verse everyone knows, for God so loved the world. And here's the world, right smack in the middle of Galilee and Judea, a place that most Jews wouldn't go with people they wouldn't talk to or eat with. And Jesus just goes straight in and breaks all the social barriers and all the norms and talks to one single woman who immediately steps into her power and influences a whole town of people. And they say, you're the savior of the world. The process of the salvation of the world has begun. Sounds nice. But we're a few years after this was written. It's kind of hard to think the salvation of the world has begun. It doesn't really look like it, does it? With all the anxiety and the panic and the bad news. What are we even doing here? Having faith. What even is it that we're doing? Faith is just a willingness to trust God. Or in some cases, just a willingness to try to trust God and to try to be like Jesus. Having faith in Jesus means acting like Jesus because the world is here. We're surrounded by people who need help. Sometimes we're the people who need help. And sometimes we get really caught up in the people that we don't want to talk to or the people that we don't want to look at or the people that we don't want to associate with or the people that seem unclean. And we don't say it like that. But everybody has people that make them uncomfortable for some reason or another. And Jesus says, not cool. We have to break social barriers and norms in the ways that we care for one another. 
We have to go out of our way to help other people, to serve other people, to support each other, even when it's inconvenient or it costs us something or even when it just makes us feel weird inside. Because when we act like Jesus, we prove that the salvation of the world has begun because it has begun in us because Jesus reached out and said, here's just a sip of water and see you're thirsty. And then it became a bubbling spring that overflows. And if it's not overflowing, perhaps we need to go get another drink. Holy God, your loyalty is not to social etiquette. Your love is not tied to decency standards that exclude or judge or raise eyebrows. Wherever there is suffering or doubt in body or in spirit, you are there. No exceptions. God meets us in the hard places, the hot places, in the middle of the day, the places where we find ourselves alone and thirsty, the days of struggle, the places of deepest need. In our fear and pain, God comes beside us. May we commit to extending God's care to all our neighbors so that no one is left alone and we all taste freedom.